0: Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Right after the
1: service, I'm going to be jetting across the Atlantic to the uh, colony to the west, where we have received a grandchild two weeks ago. And, uh, yeah... I am filled with joy at that expectation. But can you imagine the angels, the baby Jesus, Savior of the world? Well, let's jump in and let's let's find out about that joy. Father in heaven, we pray that in the next few minutes, you would take our hearts and fill them with perhaps more joy than we've ever known. As we contemplate the blessing of Jesus being born to us, a Savior, Messiah, the Lord. Use these next few minutes, Father, in in a way that only you can to touch our hearts deeply. We're ready to hear from you. For Christ's sake, for your glory, for our good, we pray. Amen. Amen. whenever we sing a song at Eden and we project the words onto the screen, we always acknowledge the author at the end of the song. It's a requirement, I think, of copyright laws. There is a song, however, in which acknowledgement is unnecessary because the song is not written by humans on earth but by angels in heaven. It's a short song, only two lines. But as my parents used to remind us at Christmas time, big things can come in small packages. <laughs> Such as a great savior wrapped in the humble cloths of a vulnerable baby. Such as perhaps history's greatest ever celebration, lasting only seconds great company of the heavenly host, praising God and singing a mere two lines, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Into these two lines is packed inestimable riches, But before we get to the riches, notice the parallel structure of the two lines. We have it up here on the screen. Each line has three parts corresponding to the three parts of the other line. I've arranged the two lines to reflect the parallelism. In the highest places, that's the first part. Glory, second part. To God, third part. And then in parallel, on earth, Peace in men and women of whom God thinks well. A baby is born. And in consequence, according to the angels, two things are happening. In the highest places, God is receiving glory. And on earth, we are receiving peace. Now, What the angels sing deserves our closest attention. Because the angels have been watching God from before the beginning of time. From the indefinable agelessness of prehistory to the spectacular moment when, sparked by a word from God, the universe was spoken into existence. The angels were there in front row seats. They saw it all. They also saw Noah and his family delivered from the flood. And Abraham set apart to be a patriarch of a great nation. And Joseph rise through the ranks of Pharaoh's court to protect that nation. And Moses, with nine plagues, liberate that nation from Egypt And Deborah vanquished the enemies of that nation, the formidable Canaanites. And Gideon with a ramshackle army of of men dispersed the mighty Midianites. And then David with one stone slayed Goliath and put the Philistines to flight. The angels have seen every one of these glorious, gracious deliverances. And yet... Never once have the angels been so moved in their spirits as to draw back the curtain, separating heaven and earth, and to make their sentiments known to us below. Until that one starry night, above the hills, outside Jerusalem, when a lower rung of shepherds were doing the unappealing work of watching over the temple sheep, the sheep bound for sacrifice, suddenly the angels could contain themselves no longer. For what was happening before their eyes was a deliverance unprecedented in all eternity. The birth of a Savior, a Deliverer, Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. And they flung open the windows, separating the celestial from the terrestrial. And they erupted in a song more joyful than ever before heard by human ears. In the highest places, glory to God. And on earth, peace in men and women of whom he thinks well. When a great company of the heavenly host open their mouths, we must listen ever so intently. Because the angels see clearly what we see only darkly. So so let's listen to this song. The first line, In the highest places God is receiving glory. The word highest here is an adjective in Greek. And it stands alone in the verse. It needs a noun to complete it. Since the adjective is plural, it needs a plural noun, such as places. In the highest places, or the highest heavens. You know, there's so much about the highest places that are a mystery. But but we do know far more than the first century shepherds. They they say that, that what lies above us in the highest places is an expanse measuring 46.5 billion light years, stretching all the way up to the edge of the universe. And it's populated by 200 billion, trillion stars, of which only 9,000 are visible to the naked eye here below. And I've often wondered, and you probably have too, what's happening in the highest places? Is there any consciousness? Is there any intelligence up there? We don't know. But the angels do. Listen to them. In the highest places, God is receiving Glory. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord," Psalm 19 verse one. It would seem that the highest places, that the highest places can see the eternal power and divine nature of God. It's clearly visible to them unlike lower places such as the earth, where men and women tend to suppress the truth, neither glorifying God as God or giving him thanks. Romans 1. But what brings the highest places to raptures is that God is actually doing something on earth that is far and away beyond anything the angels have ever witnessed before throughout all of eternity. A baby is born on a speck of a planet in a third-rate Solar system, at the far edge of a galaxy that is 100,000 light years in diameter, today is born to you a Savior, Christ the Lord. The Lord, the Lord Himself, Yahweh, the God of creation, born on earth. Does it sound preposterous? I mean, the very idea is enough to make skeptics laugh in derision. God, if there is such a thing born to us on earth, a savior, don't be skeptical. Check the origins of your skepticism, your preconceptions. Accepting as possible only what is accessible to your human understanding. Be careful. Surely a superhuman God is capable of bursting the human categories of our minds and, and of breaking into our human experience in ways that are inconceivable to us in ways more glorious than our, our finite minds could ever imagine. That's why it's so important to listen to those with greater insight than we. Angels. Who've seen everything. Who know God best. What to agnostics below is absurd is to angels above awe-inspiring. Why do we disbelieve what the, causes the angels to rejoice Breaks my heart at times to see how much joy the world is missing out on because they disbelieve. The angels tell us what's happening in our universe. In the highest places, God is receiving glory because the second line on earth, we are receiving peace. Yahweh, the Lord, is bringing peace to earth. And I immediately we probably think in terms of external peace, don't we? He's put, God's going to put an end to conflict and war. and He's eradicating eras- relational strife and, and anger and betrayal and divorce and exploitation. And hallelujah! Wouldn't it be wonderful to have an end to external peace? But actually, there's a bigger peace that... That God is bringing that 's going to have an impact on external peace it's it's well it 's internal peace it 's the second line look at the second line and on earth peace in men and women. the Greek preposition here uh, is The word N, which is most often translated in. I know many English translations say peace to men and women and peace among men and women, and those are good translations, but I think I want to use the word N here to mean what it most often means, which is in. This is where peace is needed the most, in men and women. Inside their hearts. It's the hearts of humans. They're so messed up, so lacking in peace. The human heart is restless, says Augustine. Empty, says Pascal. Straw, says Eliot. Sad, says Percy. Angry, says Steinbeck. Decaying, says Becker. Suicidal, says Tolstoy. Dissatisfied, says Russell. Oh, what a lot wrong there is with the human heart. We cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace in our hearts. Well, today, in the town of David, that's all about to change. Sing the angels. Born to you is a Savior, Christ the Lord who will bring peace into the hearts of men and women. The peace of God that transcends all understanding, says the Apostle Paul, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. And remember what Jesus said when he grew up to be a man, do not let your hearts be troubled. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. Peace. This is good, isn't it? What is this peace? Well, it's it's certainly not the debris of restlessness that clutters our hearts or the emptiness or the sadness or the frustration or the decay or the anger or the disappointments instead it's got to be hearts filled with something else and the angels are saying it's hearts filled with the child of christmas says paul let the peace of christ rule in your hearts colossians 3:15 Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Nothing else ruling in your heart. The peace of Christ ruling in your hearts. But here we have a problem. It's a problem of our own making. According to the Bible, we have pushed God out of our hearts. We've turned to our own way. Seeking to make a life for ourselves, apart from God, by ourselves, according to our own selfish desires. Searching for inner peace in the things of our own choosing. Staining our hearts in the process. Making them uninhabitable by the sinless Christ. Since the beginning of time, we have been singing the sad song of sin and in the process disqualifying ourselves for the inner peace which the angels are announcing so joyfully. But there's hope. Great hope there is a, a final note of the song of the angels, a last word which we have not yet heard, a word which perhaps more than any other word in this two-line song explains the uncontainable praise of these angels. It's the word eudokias in Greek, which literally means to think well. And on earth, Peace in men and women of whom God, Eudochius, thinks well. No wonder the angels don't look back. Everyone knows, especially the angels, that no one is worthy of Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet God thinks well of us? How's that? Well... If nothing in us makes God think well of us, then there must be something in God. Yes, say the angels, that's the point of this baby, the the child of Christmas, the Lord himself coming to earth to give himself reason to think well of us. Something the Lord would do. Anticipated in a humble trough, fulfilled in a humble cross. When this child was old enough, he would mount the cross, taking on to his shoulders our sins and cloaking our shoulders with his righteousness, thereby reconciling us to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross in order to present us holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I'm quoting from Paul, Colossians 1, so that we could be people of whom the heavenly father thinks well. Hearts once polluted by sin. Now cleansed by the shedding of the Savior's blood, making us holy and blameless, a fit habitation for Christ Himself. This is so good. No wonder the angels are exploding in raptures of joy. I wonder if, does this describe you this morning? Are you someone of whom God thinks well? Someone whose sins have been taken away and paid for by the penal substitution of Jesus Christ for us? Are you someone whose heart has now been inhabited by Christ? Don't be left out. Come to this Savior. In fact, if you come to him, you can be assured that he is already coming to you. Give your heart to Christ. Prepare room in your heart for Christ. If you've never done this before, do it today. Let the peace of Christ come and rule in your heart. Because if it doesn't, something else will You know, there are only two possibilities for your heart. Either to be filled with the peace of Christ or to be filled with the fears of this world. That's it. Peace or fear. The only two options for the human heart. One of them will rule in your heart. And when the Angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds were what? Terrified. Verse 9. Literally, they feared with a great fear. Fogon Megan. Mega fear. And you know why the shepherds were afraid? Because they were about to lose something. This is always the cause of fear. Impending loss. The sense that I'm going to lose something makes me afraid. And these angels were confronted by the glory of God. Glory that was seven times brighter than the sun, according to the prophet Isaiah. And it shook the shepherds to the core. Shaft of heavenly light so overwhelming that they, they felt vulnerable. Threatened. It shattered Their peace. You see, the shepherds said, like all of us, they they built a life for themselves. You could say a a tidy and comfortable little box in which they lived, which provided a veneer of peace for them, rising every day with the sun, right? A breakfast of eggs and coffee. I was going to say eggs and ham, but that doesn't work in this part of the world. Uh, Sorting out the lambs selling the livestock at the temple, greeting friends, exchanging jokes, purchasing sandals for the children, singing folk songs at sunset, feeling good about themselves, and then comes an angel. Heavenly host of angels. The glory of the Lord shines around them and and they could feel themselves losing control of their lives. They were smitten by mega fear. What does this mean? By the way, this is why why some people don't come to Jesus. They're afraid of what it might mean. What they might lose. Don't be such a person. It's a colossal mistake. It's it's the profoundest deception. You don't lose when you give your heart to Jesus. Jesus. Any change is more than compensated by what you gain. Verse 10, the the angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. Messiah. The Lord, no to mega fear, says the angel. I bring you charon (laughs) megalay. I bring you mega joy. Isn't that interesting? The two are here in different verses. No to mega fear. I bring you mega joy. We have a choice. Either it's mega fear of what we might lose, or it's mega joy for what we will gain. Gaining Christ, our hearts are ruled by peace. For this reason, says the Apostle Paul, I am prepared to lose everything. Count it all as rubbish compared to what I gain in Christ. Philippians 3 How about you? How about me? (laughs) Are we so awestruck by what is gained in Christ that anything lost is absolutely nothing by comparison? So filled with all the fullness of the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts that nothing can put even a slight dent in our infinite fullness. Nothing can subtract anything from infinite peace. You you can't put a dent in infinite peace. Nothing can subtract anything. In fact, I I put up a... not, Not yet, that's coming. The one before that. There we are, yeah. There is nothing to fear when you have nothing to lose. And no loss on this earth amounts to the tiniest fraction of the fullness we have in Christ that we can never lose. I, I, the good opinion of others is fickle. Your good health is not permanent. Your ambition of getting a good degree is not guaranteed. Your dreams of marrying and raising a family is not a foregone conclusion. The possibility of losing control over your life is real. The likelihood of losing life itself, of dying, is a certainty. All these fearful losses torment our hearts. Not the Christian heart. Because of all we gain in Christ renders our losses by comparison infinitesimally small. Nothing can disturb the peace of Christ ruling in Christian hearts. Now we're ready. A couple of equations here. You've probably seen these before. I like to think I made these up, but I don't think I did. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing plus Christ is everything. Everything less Christ is nothing. We have it all. Everything we need in Christ. It's why the angels are singing to us, no more mega fear, only mega joy. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and the highest places God is getting glory. And on earth, we're receiving peace in our hearts as this Savior comes into our hearts, having first cleansed our heart by his substitutionary death. Oh, the angels who have seen everything, they they look at what God is doing in Christ and they're aghast. They say, we've got to penetrate that curtain that separates heaven from earth and, and announce what we know to be true. I may have told you the story before about a man in the church where I ministered for 27 years who called me early one morning and asked if we could meet as soon as possible. There was... Voice was trembling, and I said, yeah, of course, come, come, come right now. When he and his wife arrived in my office, his face was ashen, and hers was red from tears. And his first words to me were, have you seen the morning's newspaper? And he tossed the copy of the newspaper onto my desk. He said, look at that. The headline. The headline was, Owner of Mutual Fund accused of mismanagement. This man owned... At the time, the only mutual fund in the state of Arizona. A mutual fund is a portfolio of assets, usually stocks and bonds, in which people can invest corporately, hoping to increase their income, their net worth, their profit. And the manager of a mutual fund needs to be completely trustworthy. An accusation of mismanagement is a death knell to mutual funds. I haven't done anything wrong, Pastor said the Christian brother. But with a headline like that, I'm ruined. There'll be a run on the fund, investors withdrawing their money, we will have nothing. Well, listening to him, I I, I knew he was in big trouble. I also knew that when he and his wife stopped expressing their fears to me, they would turn to me for answers, which I guess was why they had called me in the first place. But I was sitting there thinking, What am I going to say? You're right. You're just about to lose everything. No, I needed to come up with something more encouraging. So, as I often do, I, while they were still talking, I'm praying silently Oh God, give me an answer. Give me an answer. Please, Lord, just something to say. And the Lord did. And when they, when they finally went silent and they looked at me with their broken eyes, I said, you know, you haven't really lost a thing. Well, they, were, they looked utterly shocked as though I hadn't heard a word they had been saying. I said, no, you haven't lost a thing. You have Jesus Christ dwelling in your hearts. And you are so full of his peace. And His love and His joy and His power that no loss in this world can diminish your fullness even slightly. And we talked for a full hour about who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. Nothing plus Christ is everything And right before my eyes, this was one of the greatest moments of my ministry, a miracle happened. Mega fear turned to mega joy. Despite what the world would think of them after the day's headlines, God still felt thought well of them because of what Christ had done. And if God is for you, who can be against you? If the peace of Christ rules in your heart, then there's no room for fear. And when they got up, tears still filling their eyes, they had become tears of joy. What a moment. Just amazing. And they thanked me. And they thanked me. And I said, it's not I. And they said, we know, we know. It's Christ. And arm in arm, they left my office. Three years later, a letter comes to me at church, and it's from them. They had lost everything. The fund, the income, the house, the reputation, the friends, the state. They had to move to another state. And this is how the letter began. Dear Pastor Tim, do you remember that day in your office three years ago? I'm thinking, how could I ever forget? It was the beginning of a new life for us when the peace of Christ began to rule in our hearts. Losing everything was the best thing that ever happened to us, because it was then we learned that with Christ, we have all we need and couldn't have more. We are so full. Enclosed in the letter was also a sizable check. It seems that God had taken care of them. Unfortunately, the check was made out to the church. (laughs) There's nothing to fear, brothers and sisters. Well, there's nothing to lose. By the way, as I do every time I preach, I preach first to myself. I need need this song. I need this. There's nothing to fear when there's nothing to lose. When you have the peace of Christ in your heart, which can be there starting today because of his sacrificial death on the cross, cleansing your heart, making it habitable for him to indwell. When you have Christ in your heart, you have peace. You have perfect peace. You have everlasting peace. I know some of the more clever of us are probably thinking right now, how everlasting? I mean, there, there, there is a loss from which we don't recover. Death. When you die, you are dispossessed of everything. I'm afraid of dying with a mega-fear. Really? It can be just the opposite. Went back to an old book this week. Biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, standing before the gallows at Flossenburg Death Camp at the end of World War II, said this. Death is only fearful to those who are afraid of it. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Something better, better be coming. Yeah,
0: there is. He says,
1: to those who believe in Christ, death is the greatest gift of grace. It's the gateway to our homeland. It's the tabernacle of joy. The everlasting kingdom of peace. Just months ago, my friend Tim Keller succumbed to pancreatic cancer. He said things that agree with Bonhoeffer. There is no downside to me leaving. Not in the slightest. I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. I think both Bonhoeffer and Keller are affirming the words of the Apostle Paul. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Not even death, with all its supposed losses, can put a dent in the peace that rules in our heart. It's an everlasting peace. Because of Christ, death is the beginning of life. This morning, the angels are singing. A baby is born in Jerusalem. Ah, let's try Bethlehem. <laughs> and in the highest places, God is receiving glory. And on earth, we are receiving peace in our hearts I want to get to the point where I believe the angels fully all the time, that I have everything I could possibly need in Christ. I don't need anything more. What I have in Christ, I don't need to fear a thing. No loss. With Christ, it's only mega joy. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Amen. Amen, Father. Thank you for this song. And thank you that no song ever sung is truer than the one the angels have brought to us. Thank you, Father, that you came to us in the child of your son, Jesus, and you died on a cross for us, paying the penalty for our sins so that we could be just in your eyes, righteous in your eyes, so that our hearts could be habitable for your son, the Spirit of Christ. And Father, oh, the peace it gives us. Father, forgive us for living in our fears too often, for being afraid of what we might lose. And Jesus has died to give us everything. Father, we want to give up that sad song of fear and sing the glorious song of joy. Possible because... You came to us at Christmas. We want to listen to the angels. Father, you want to, we want to hark. The herald angels are singing. Glory to the newborn king. Father, we finish this prayer now by singing to you. To hark the herald angels sing. Hear us as we, like they did, praise you.